Good morning. I'm Robin Shannon. On this week's Fordham Conversations, we're talking about the future of nonprofits and the skills needed to run them. I have two people involved with the Fordham Center for Nonprofit Leaders. Alan Lux is the director. Good morning, Alan. Good morning. And Professor Elaine Congress is academic director and associate dean. Good morning. Good morning. So I'd like to start with a pretty easy one. How does an organization qualify to be a nonprofit? Well, a nonprofit is a funny definition because all it means is that you're not making a profit. But a nonprofit traditionally is an organization geared to helping society, helping your fellow man. There are about a million nonprofits in the United States. And the one bottom line is that if there's any excess of income, of revenue during the year, that isn't returned to shareholders, that is plowed back into helping people. It could be a church as a nonprofit, Fordham University is a nonprofit, museums are a nonprofit, hospitals. We're especially concerned with them. We train their leaders. But we're also training nonprofits and community service agencies which are on the street, which are helping society. And there are about a million nonprofits in the United States. The center was set up to get them to provide managerial excellence and provide also social justice strategies to change society. Also, I just wanted to point out that the number of nonprofit organizations is really increasing. In the years between 2001 and 2011, there was a 25 percent increase in the number of nonprofits, while the for-profit businesses only increased by half of one percent. So nonprofits are really on the rise. And I do want to talk about why they're on the rise in a minute, but I also want to get one more definition in. Is there a different definition between nonprofits and not-for-profits? Same thing. Same thing. So then why do they use both differently? Oh, we use a corporation and we use the word business and we use the word firm. Got it's the it. same thing in the nonprofit field. We use it. Basically, though, it's an organization doesn't return a profit to shareholders and is geared to helping society. The problem is, in today's environment, a restricted fundraising uh, uncertainty of the future. Can these agencies carry out their social justice mission at the same time as they're doing fundraising? That is the great challenge to nonprofits in America today. And I have done a little reading on that, Alan. A nonprofit obviously is a business of service, but it's still a business. So how do these two sectors work simultaneously? How are you teaching the necessity for service and the necessity for business at the same time. Well, this is what we try to do at the Fordham Center for Nonprofit Leaders. We're a partnership of the Fordham Graduate School of Social Service and the Fordham Graduate School of Business Administration. So all of the courses that we offer in our certificate program, as well as in our new master's program, which we're going to begin in September 2014, have faculty from either the social service school or from the business school. And we're now reviewing all the syllabi, and they really incorporate both teaching, like management skills, but also with our social justice mission. I, I would say this, Robin, a personal story about how the, the, the tremendous power of nonprofits and the tremendous problems they face today. I was a, one time the head of the executive director of the Alcoholism Council of New York. And there was this new study which showed that women who drank too much could give birth to children with a birth defect called the fetal alcohol syndrome. And we did a study, and we found out that especially poor women weren't aware of this risk. So we went to the hospitals, went to Metropolitan Hospital, because we did a study on, in East Harlem. And we said, you want to put up some signs 
we want to, they said, we have so many signs, Alan, leave us alone, there's too many problems. We went to other people. I said, but my organization is just a counseling organization to counsel alcoholics. We don't have time to do it. Make a long story short, no one wanted to get involved with this problem. Finally, I convinced my board to do it, and you see now a sign in every liquor store and bar and restaurant in New York. It says, drinking alcoholic beverages during pregnancy can cause birth defects. That dropped the risk of women having a child with a birth defect by 20%. Most important right now, anytime you drink a beer, wine, distilled spirits, on there is a warning label, all because of our New York City program. This is the difference now. This was the 80s when society was saying, do it, do it, do it. Now boards, and we have all sorts of surveys on, and boards are saying to their executive directors, don't do anything different. Just worry about managing the staff. We're not worried about something more. But unless you do that something more, society doesn't change. That's what the Center for Nonprofit Leaders was set up by, by Fordham University, by the Graduate School of Social Service, the Graduate School of Business, to train agencies to say, you can do more. We'll support you. We give them lifetime support after they go through our program. So it's a lifetime support. You can make a difference, and that's our challenge. So I'll have to back you up a little bit. How did you finally get the warning labels to be noticed? Okay, slowly. And that's, that's the difference in public policy change. We had to organize a coalition of major agencies like the Children's Aid Society, the Junior League, all the health agencies, and they wanted it. They wanted it. And then we had to try to convince Mayor Koch, and he said, I'm not too sure. Maybe someone doesn't like it because all, all, all public officials are concerned about is it going to create opposition? Will someone not oppose me? And finally, after two years of working with the city council and etc., it got passed. So what we try to teach our agencies now is you have to form a coalition. You have to know your facts. You have to be able to recruit experts in your field. And that takes time, and that takes time. And you have to constantly know your facts. But you can do it. You can do it. So we want them to walk out of our training program and saying, I have the ability to do it. I have the personal zeal to do it. They have to have that personal mission. Otherwise, the nonprofit field becomes just not that special field, which is to change society. It becomes just more like a business-type organization, which would be a tremendous, tremendous detriment to our society. So give me an example of something that you might teach differently than a business school would teach. Well, it's not so much teaching the way a nonprofit organization would work. I'll give you another example. We had a woman came to us when I was the head of the National Council on Alcoholism, and she said, I've been re- refused to be a cop because I'm a recovered alcoholic. But her husband, who was already a cop, was also a recovered alcoholic. They just took away his gun. They put him on the bow and arrow squad. So I said, we said we had a challenge to slaughter. that was discriminating against recovered alcoholics from becoming cops. What's interesting is that my board at that time said, stop it, stop it. We're going to antagonize the Human Resource Department of New York City, which came out against us. We're going to create enemies. So Wait, why did they come out against you? Because they said, well, we know how to protect our staff best, and our rules, which was deny employment to recovered alcoholics, make sense. We don't want them to become cops. But we had studies showing that they, if a person who was already a cop, you could take away his gun, you could also have the same chance to help someone become a cop. And we had the statistics, etc. It's change. Government doesn't change quickly. The whole idea of the nonprofit agency is you are the public's conscience. You have the public's conscience. You have to keep pushing. So the difference is a business would say, we're just going to focus on our own little mission of selling our widgets, and that's it. Here was something we could have said, this problem of discrimination against recovered alcoholics isn't our problem. We'll just keep on counseling families, but we didn't. The difference between a nonprofit agency and a business, the nonprofit agency has two missions. One, to provide the services to help the poor, the disadvantages, the indigent, that it does every day, and at the same time to see where society at large 
and a bigger arena needs help, and to do that also, which they may never get paid for. We need to have extra work, which may have staff time which won't be reimbursed for. So the nonprofit agency has to do above and beyond its daily work, unlike a business. And also, I wanted to speak a little bit about how, in our curriculum, we've been able to integrate the two. Even taking a course, which sounds very much like a business course, organizational finance, budgeting, right? And we're going to have someone from our business school teach it. But it's not just business as usual. It's really about integrating social justice, putting aside some funds in the budget to be used for public advocacy campaigns, to hire staff to help with this, even though there are rules about how much nonprofit can get involved, but there are ways to work What do you mean how much nonprofits can get involved? You're more well, the nonprofit agencies are limited by federal law to how much lobbying, advocacy, pushing new change. And it's roughly they can't take a majority of their time to do it. But 90% of nonprofits say we don't do very little in the area of public policy change of trying to do social justice, which is, of course, the theme of Fordham University. 67% says all they ever do, so 67% of all nonprofits in the United States is we write a letter or we send an email once a year to our public officials saying, if you have a chance, we could use some more money. So, that, does it work? No, it doesn't work because you have to constantly push and push and organize coalitions because government is, is overwhelmed. So you have to show, I'm going to make a difference to attract the uh, attention of the city councilman, of your state assemblyman, state senators, the, gov- the governor himself. So what you try to do is try to show them that when you look in the mirror, are you happy doing the same thing every day or do, don't you want to do more? Because the, mostly the people who come into the nonprofit world, Robin, aren't coming in there for a job. They want to put their mark on society. But like a lot of us, all of a sudden you become overwhelmed with the daily problems. How does Fordham Center for Nonprofit Leaders, that's our center, not only by training, by being constantly prodding them with new conferences, with new seminars, with saying we're here to help you, how do they get them to say, all right, I'm going to tackle a bigger issue. We define a bigger issue as something that will help far more people or help a group of people who are not being protected right now. The lobbying restriction of not doing a majority of your time spent on lobbying, which is pushing for new laws, it's not a problem. The biggest challenge is to just get out there, knock on the doors of officials, get a coalition together and say, look, this is important for our society. Public officials have one mantra, get me reelected, get me reelected, get me reelected. And if they say this issue can do that, they'll be with you. We have to do our homework to convince them. And they have to know the issue is out there. Right. Correct. Right. The nonprofit leader can't just be thinking about internal issues like balancing the budget. They have to move beyond that. They have to think like outside of the organization. And they have to include maybe in job descriptions of staff members some time for going out and collaborating with other agencies in terms of advocacy work, in terms of building coalitions. It's not just enough to stay within the agency and work with clients, but we have to really kind of encourage them to think more broadly. Having said that, Elaine or Alan, question for either one of you. So what personality traits do you suggest a person have if they're thinking about going into the nonprofit sector? I like someone who's really innovative. I mean, someone thinks out of the box. It's not business as usual, quote, unquote, for the nonprofit leader. It has to be original, creative, very aware of what's going on in the uh, outside world. And it's not a nonprofit 
101 as it was taught like 20, 30, you know, 30 years ago. I mean, you really have to be constantly scanning the outside environment about new developments politically, socially, and you have to bring these changes into your organization. What sometimes happens in an organization is very static and, you know, we're all a little bit resistant to change. But you really have to keep your eye on, like, what's happening out there and really incorporate it. So I think this is what makes a nonprofit leader, and this is really what we want to educate people to succeed. Can I ask what types of changes are we implementing? Well, the, the biggest change is society is nervous about nonprofits doing too much in politics. Uh, you get involved with public officials. So right now there's laws being discussed to restrict nonprofits. The nonprofits we train are not getting involved in politics. They're doing for public policy change. But because of this, from the basic nonprofits that we know, which would start off with church organizations in the late 1800s, is that there, there were, people are worried now about that they're getting involved in going too far. So then there's been restrictions there. But the overwhelming restriction and, and the boards of trustees, the boards of trustees are being held responsible now for any kind of malfeasance. And they there. weren't before? It was much looser. Governor Cuomo just signed a law called the New York State Revitalization Act, which goes into effect July 1st, which is going to do more openness, which is going to prevent hiring of relatives. So there is a concern now that nonprofits being run much more efficiently. Going back, Robin, to your question of what kind of person is the best nonprofit leader, it's someone who has, she or he has that commitment. I would emphasize that if you're interested, you're stretching your mind, I want to change the world a little bit, go on our websites, fordham.edu slash nonprofits, and there you'll hear stories about our center in the newspaper. You'll be reading about us. You'll see the courses we offer. We have a certificate program, continuing education program. We have a new master's degree starting in fall which is a full master's degree in nonprofit leadership, which I think has a significant impact on the field because it's a master's degree which is combining managerial excellence and social justice. So if I were someone thinking of starting out in the field, I would go to the website, read about it, and then if they're interested, we have our phone numbers at the bottom, and call us up, and we're glad to talk to you on the phone. We're glad to come on over. We'll have coffee at Fordham. We want you to succeed as a nonprofit leader who can change society. If you succeed, society changes. We look good. Everybody wins. But it's going to take an effort, and it takes a real effort at a time when the board member calls you up and says, how are we doing on our latest direct mail campaign? How are we doing on our latest fundraising dance? People are nervous in America. They should be nervous in America now. And what is the nonprofit's role going to be in a nervous society? That is going to be the challenge to our center. Well, I wanted to add a little bit to the uh, question about what type of nonprofit leader are we looking for and how nonprofit leadership 101, as it was taught 30 years ago, <laughs> has really changed. I mean, what has really changed in the last 30 years? I mean, what, what happened on April 23, 1992, in terms of the Internet being public technology and it's really imperative that an agency a nonprofit really has technology and it's not just an anon it's a major major part of uh, developing and maintaining and succeeding uh, with a nonprofit organization and this is something we've incorporated into into our curriculum and we don't expect a nonprofit leader is going to be an expert is going to be able to create his or her own apps but at least to be able to have a commitment to it and to learn about like hiring people and to think too in terms of social media how to be out there in terms of, of their nonprofit because that's what a nonprofit organization has to do in 2014 to really survive and move ahead. 
This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Fordham University's Alan Lux and Elaine Congress about the future of nonprofits and the skills needed to run them. You talked a little bit about some of the challenges that can affect a nonprofit. Do you think nonprofit businesses will ever outgrow the pace of for-profit businesses? Well, as Elaine mentioned, studies show that the number of agencies, the greater increase in the number of nonprofits than there are businesses. But now the the actual facts, 75% of nonprofits in the United States have budgets below $600,000. So we're talking small, small, small. Nonprofits that right now are about, say, 7%, 8% of all employees in the United States. So no, we're never going to be the economic engine that is going to drive society the same way that businesses. We are going to be, however, a major part, a critical part of that social engine. Deep down in the theory of our social justice is that we believe everyone has a chance to make it. So when people say that when they pass someone who's perhaps homeless or perhaps someone who appears poor or someone has problems they read about in the paper, deep down they always say, well, we believe not only government, but there are nonprofit agencies to respond to that problem. We become the public conscience. We, we are there to deal with these issues. And the question will be, can we always be there at the extent needed? I've done a lot of lecturing abroad but I'll talk about the far greater involvement of Americans as volunteers. And the Europeans dismiss me. They said, come on, Ali. He said, Alan, we pay higher taxes, much higher taxes than you pay in America. Therefore, we're counting on government to step in. You've chosen a system to, to pay lesser taxes because you want to have the nonprofit sector do more because you want to have a way to contribute money and to direct which agencies, health or social service, you feel are more important. Therefore, don't tell us we're not doing enough. The real challenge is, can you do more to catch up to us? So don't forget, Western Europe, Scandinavia, they have a much more developed social service system, primarily by government. The challenge in America constantly is, is that to what degree can government and the nonprofit field become partners together to help the elderly, help the ill, help, help the youth, help immigrants? That is our challenge. If the nonprofit sector just falls back and doesn't keep growing, and we have a problem now. Private funding is decreasing, government funding is decreasing. Mm. Then you have a problem in the kind of society we want. So tell me a little bit more, Alan, about Europe's system and why that seems to be working so well compared to, not necessarily compared to our system, but they're paying more taxes, have more social programs. Who's keeping them in check, so to speak? Well, of course, you have, you have a far greater government role in creating a social service net. Who's keeping them in check are the elected officials. So we had a speaker come in from Denmark, from Copenhagen, and I said to him, what did you think? We look at the numbers of homeless in New York and I hope the numbers of homeless in Copenhagen. And I said, what, what's, the, what's the difference? Which is much more per capita? He said, you don't understand, Mr. Lux, something. I said, what do I not understand? He said, we have no homeless in Copenhagen. I said, get out of here. <laughs> he said, we don't. The only people you see on the street are those with emotional illness. If you want housing, you have housing. We have decided to, to create and tax ourselves much higher than you have in, in the United States. Therefore, we can have a social service net. The question is, can you ever do the same thing with your combined nonprofit government team? So that is our challenge. And when I spoke to the people from Denmark afterwards, after the session, they said, it's true. It's true. 
Now, you're having a backlash now in Denmark, in truth, because some people there are saying, we're paying too much money and the system is being abused. But you do have systems throughout the world which do have a stronger social service net than the United States, which is the most wealthiest country in the world. What do we as human beings, what do we, when we look in the mirror, what do we think? How much are we willing to contribute? And then to the nonprofit leaders, the present and future, whom we're training, can you go out and not just run a nonprofit agency which holds the status quo, but you're ready to make a bigger jump and try to change society and housing and education and welfare with, with the immigrants? That's our mission from the Fordham Center for Nonprofit Leaders. So can I ask for either Elaine or Alan, what do you think is leading people to the nonprofit sector? The uh, go- government has really cut back recently. Part of it is because of the cost of defense and other items. So there's a greater need and an expansion of nonprofits because the government has not been involved in taking care of the needs of people. Also, just in terms of health, as our population ages, I mean, there's a more need for health agencies. So I think there's really been an increase in nonprofits focusing on health issues. So I see these as two of the main reasons that have led to an increase in nonprofit. And I think that many young people, people really want to make a difference. A lot of students I've known really kind of want to save the world, and this is a way to really get involved in terms of making changes. So that's added to the interest in nonprofit. Alan, you non-pro- Yeah, well, nonprofits push, have to push government, have to push the public to contribute, the public to volunteer, and, the, and government to do more. When I was also head of Big Brothers Big Sisters in New York, we noticed that there were a number of cases of abuse and sexual abuse of kids by mentors who hadn't been fully screened. They hadn't done a background criminal check. So we went to New York State and we said, let's require a criminal check for all mentors. And the New York State Division of Youth Services was against it. We said, why? Because if you do a background check, you're doing it now at Big Brothers, but these small agencies won't be able to afford the background check, about $75 a check, and they're going to make us do it. We don't have enough money. I said, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. They said, no. I said, we're going to push, and I, I, we got the law sponsored. We had a coalition. I said, I don't accept this ridiculous reasoning. I lost. I lost. The finally a law was passed, Governor Pataki signed it in his last days called the Safe Mentoring Act, which now requires mentoring agencies simply to tell a parent, do they or do they not do a background check? Hopefully, those that don't do a criminal background check, the parent won't drop their kid off with. But parents don't know this. He's mostly dealing with poor parents. They don't have all this information. So I lost. So this is an example of something which is so obvious that every ba- that is to require these background checks and government wouldn't do it. Government has to be seen as well-intentioned. People are running around and trying to deal with yesterday's fire in the orphanage. To make social change, you have the public's conscience. That's the nonprofit world. That's the social justice commitment. I remember Father McShane was talking to us at a state message. He says, this is what we stand for at Fordham. This is what we stand for. The president of Fordham. Right. Right. Father McShane was saying, we deal with social justice. It's not the status quo. You asked before, who in the Western European countries, in the Scandinavian countries, pushes government to do more? There is a parliamentary system, and the political parties are doing it. Here we depend tremendously on the nonprofit world to push government to do more. And you're not always going to win. I just gave you an example where you have a compromise. But if that pushing stops, so much less will happen. We can't let it happen. So therefore, there are 44 other programs throughout the United States training nonprofit leaders. Our 
program is we are really combining, as Elaine said, the business skills to the Graduate School of Business with the social change skills to the Graduate School of Social Service to really help these agencies make a mark on society. After they graduate our program, they get a mentor who's a chief executive officer of a nonprofit agency for a year, and then they get for forever our faculty are ready to help them. You recognize it's easy to teach. It's easier to teach, and it definitely is, than to run a nonprofit agency. But if you have this backup, you have this push, you have this zeal, you have this mission put into you by our center and given the support, we believe we can make a big difference. Alan Elaine, I was doing some research and and found that um, there was a, a report out that said a number of nonprofit organizations, people who ran nonprofit organizations, said when they want to move somebody up into a, a management position or they want to hire someone new, that they don't have the actual hands-on skill. They have the book knowledge, but they don't have the hands-on skill to do some of the things that are required of them to move up you know, the chain of command, so to speak. What do you suggest? Well, I think in terms of curriculum, we're not going to just be teaching theory. We're going to be very applied, using like a lot of case examples, and students are going to be asked to actively participate. And in fact, our final assignment is really developing like a nonprofit or entrepreneurship. In other words, to really learn to apply the ANI skills because we really hope to educate and develop the future leaders. We hope to help this person working in a, a low middle management position to really to really move up. We hope to give them the skills. May, uh, many people come from more of a of a clinical direct service background, and so really haven't even studied much about management or uh, or administration, and we really hope to teach that. It seems like there's a lot of money versus service, and we don't want to pit them against each other because you need both. (laughs) But how do you see money playing a role in this service? As you were saying before, there were organizations saying, we don't have enough money to do what's right. So what suggestions do you have to move past that? You're like a small business, and the small business, the biggest problem any small business has is, will I be able to sell enough of my product in the first couple of years? Will I be able to get money in? Nonprofit agencies are no different. They have to have money to hire more staff. They have to have money to train staff. They have to have money to provide counseling for people in their community. We teach them how to do fundraising. We teach them how to speak to boards of trustees. And like the small business, you can't stop knocking on the door to sell your product. Nonprofit agencies are no better, but no worse. You've got to keep knocking on the door. If you retreat, if you retreat and say, I can't do this, I helped 100 kids last year, and I'll help 110 kids this year, and this is all I'm going to worry about, then society suffers. Hopefully the graduates of the Center for Nonprofit Leaders at Fordham University will be the ones who won't retreat. I'll say it again. We're here to help you. If you're interested in possibly becoming a non- you're now a nonprofit leader now, you want more training, you want you're at an executive level, but you want to become to the very top executive, look at our website, Fordham.edu slash nonprofits. And if it's interesting, you can just we have Elaine's emails on there, my emails on there. We're more than happy to talk to you personally, have coffee with you to see is this right for you? My email, I don't think it's hard to forget, is congress, and I think, I'm sure everyone can spell that, at Fordham.edu. Mine, if you can't get to Elaine, is A-L-U-K-S-A-Lux at Fordham.edu. And we can't end this without talking about your third partner, 
you want to talk about? Right. Francis Petit. Well, we are very lucky. This is a partnership between the Graduate School of Social Service and also the Fordham Graduate School of Business Administration. So we're very fortunate that we have a third partner, uh, who, uh, who Francis Petit, who is the Associate Dean at the Graduate School of Business Administration. He would have been with us today, but he's in London working. <laughs> <laughs> But um, And that's really, really helped us in terms of planning our curriculum, arranging for the faculty, doing like public relations and marketing work for our center. So uh, because we've really looked at our center as a real partnership. And so we're completely in terms of the planning, the development, the running of both our, the certificate program and soon to be new, new master's program is really a partnership of, of our two schools. Alan, any last words? I am a product of the 60s and 70s, mm-hmm. and they were told me, President Kennedy said, don't ask what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I wanted to change the world. Peace Corps, practicing law in Harlem, running different agencies, getting laws changed. And now we have a different society. It's harder now. It's harder. It's easier to say, to say look what I did, but it's harder now. Less money around nervousness about the future. Will I have a job? Can I get a job? Will I keep a job? But you can still change. Just as Elaine said, people are coming to us on the, who say, I want to change the world. I want to change the world. They're still out there. If you feel that urge, you feel that itch, check our website. Call us. You can change the world. You need some support. You need the leadership. But you can get it at the Fordham Center. Elaine, any last words? Well, um, we're we're here to help you. Um, you know, please contact us. I know there are many people out there uh, who are really interested in really making a difference. So please contact us, even if you're not particularly interested in a certificate program or a master's program right now. Just contact us and tell us about yourself and your interest and your work in in nonprofit. We'd like to continue to build our network. I'd like to thank my guests, Alan Lux and Elaine Congress, and my senior producer, Alan Canlick. Stay with us, George Bodarkey, and Cityscape is next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. <laughs>